0: this is the 18th season of bass talk live with your host matt Pangram. btl is brought to you by Lorenz, bass Cat boats afco strike king lures sunline Big Bite Base, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries.
1: BTL, coming at ya!
0: Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live where we are going to talk about bass fishing. It is, is it? What day of the week is it? I always say it's Wednesday. It's already Wednesday. We're already halfway through another week, November 16th, and one of the favorite guests of BTL, the man who knows everything about bass fishing currently and in the past, all the way back to the 1960s. We're wearing matching hats today, (laughs) which is very appropriate since I am uh, this week, I am currently in talks for reopening the BTL merchandise store just in time. Yes, we are going to have a day four shirt uh, Ken Duke. So uncle Frank, I did a, uh, best of uncle Frank. And one of the sayings that he said was, you know, I, I set into the fish and all of a sudden I was loaded to the cork loaded to the cork. And I had never heard that, but I mean, dude, it's just a mix of old school and the vision, you know, when you lean into one of those bass and it just bows deep in the rod, you're loaded to the cork. I said, that's the new that. shirt. So I've actually been in contact with, uh, with the, uh, printing company and said hey we need a a day four shirt that says loaded to the cork with the uncle frank logo
2: when the merch drops and i feel so 2022 when i say that merch drops but when the merch drops you let me know i'm i'm in there
0: well i'll hook you up with that mr duke thanks for jumping on it's been a minute since we've had john but i've had a bunch of shows where people are like where's ken duke to answer this question so here you are
2: i'm always here I'm here in Florida, you know, where it all happens, the center of the Bass universe, Matt. Uh, I'm deep in the Bass bunker here in the, in the Orlando area. <laughs> always excited to be on BTL. Always excited to talk to you, whether we're on the show or off. Thank you very much for having me.
0: It is. I is. don't know if you're saying that facetiously or not, but, I mean, they did just have that NPFL derby down there, and I was shocked at the number of mid, like, 26, 27, 28-pound bags that came out of October in Florida. And uh, I mean, out, outside of, like, a... A uh, wild card that they had there. I think they did like a golden ticket tournament with bass a number of years. But there's very few October big time derbies in Florida, and it it was impressive to me some of those weights that came out of the MPFL.
2: Yeah, and you know October November those are traditionally tough, pretty tough times here in Florida. It's, it's transition. It, it's starting to get really cold. It was only in the 80s yesterday. And, uh, you know, we're, we're chilly here. I'm thinking about a long sleeve t-shirt.
0: Oh, this is going to be a good show. (laughs) You're all full of it today.
2: Oh yeah. I'm, I'm fired up, man. I'm I'm on BTL. What, what am I waiting for except to fire up on BTL? But you know, yeah, I was at that NPFL tournament. I really enjoyed the dynamic there. The personalities, some, some very talented anglers there. I mean, Patrick Walters is out there. Justin Kimmel who's, uh, who's going to be making a name for himself, um, uh, some other elite guys. Jason Williamson's out there. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, they've got something going on. It's a lot of fun to watch. I enjoyed my time with uh, Brad Fuller, Paul Benson, the guys who, who run those events. Uh, I was impressed. Where does that fit
0: into the landscape of pro fishing, in your opinion, Ken? Where does that NPFL fit in?
2: Well, I, I don't think they're currently drawing the caliber of anglers across the board that we see with MLFLW or Bass. Uh, but I'm also, you know, not clear on their business model. You know, when when Paul and Brad explained their their business model to me a few years ago, I, I thought it was very different, and I thought it was going to face some challenges. Um, what I've learned is that there are a lot of people who desperately want to become a pro angler and, and they're willing to, uh, the, and their guys are all very financially soluble. The guys who fished NPFL, they, they have money.
0: They've made good uh, life decisions is what you're trying to say. Exactly.
2: Exactly. They've made good life decisions. They put themselves in a financial position that they can fish professionally, that they can follow a national tour and, and be out there. So, whatever number starts the season, that number is able to finish the season financially. They may decide, may make other decisions and, and decide to fish other tours at some point, but uh, it's an interesting business model. It's an interesting dynamic. I think if they can build the platform media wise, that they're a player. And that to me is going to be a, a big telling point because one of the mistakes that I think some of the organizations have made in the past, including Bass, Bass made this mistake for a while is when they uh, tell you that the most important anglers in their universe, the most important people in their membership, are the ones who fish their professional tournaments. I think that's a mistake. If, if, if the most important people to you are not your rank-and-file audience, the guys who are paying their annual dues, the guys who are watching on, on YouTube or on um, – on a website or on television, if those are not your most important people, I generally think you may be doomed to failure.
0: And right it'll be very, so. it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I know um, <clears throat> massive interest in the uh, Bassmaster Open Elite qualifiers this year. Uh, you know, rumors swirling as to how many guys are signed up for all nine. But I think when that number actually is announced by Bass, that that there it will be shocking. As to how many uh, have signed up for All Nine at 1800. Uh, interesting dynamics going on with the new uh, BPT invitationals um, as far as some of the uh, anglers that I've heard are receiving invites who, who had average uh, Toyota series finishes, you know, not just the top 10 guys. Now, that's not new for FLW. I think one year I received an invite to the FLW tour and I finished like 40th. In the points, I finished thirty ninth. I got it. So that's, but there's a lot of of moving and shaking going on. And then the MPFL comes out with six thousand dollars, or six hundred, or yeah, six thousand uh, dollars in entry fees uh, next year. So uh, over the next two or three months, it's really good if you if you have a, a podcast that covers this stuff. But I think you're going to see a lot of moving and a lot of eye-opening uh, numbers of who's where, when, what, and why. Agreed?
2: Absolutely agree. I think that when Bass came out for I'm just use them as an example because I think they're they're maybe the clearest example here. When Bass came out and said, Hey, you gotta fish all nine of our opens to qualify for the elites, or that's what we're gonna base our our, our scoring on, I think they were saying we think there is a backlog of anglers, talented anglers who have the talent and financial wherewithal to make it to the elite series and to stay there, whether they're leaving MLFLW. Or, or whatever the situation may be, they were saying to, the, to that audience, that, that core group, we want you, come fish with us. We know only a handful of you guys can, can do all nine, but you're going to radically improve your chances of qualifying for the Elite Series. I think that was the clear message. And I think if you were a college angler just getting out of school and you wanted to get to the elites, that was a, an ugly slap in the face. That was a bitch slap from reality right there. But if you're Bobby Lane or somebody else, that's a much clearer path. And I think that um, it was an interesting move. It was a very calculated move. But now as like you were just saying, Matt, the fields are filling up there. There are going to be a lot more guys doing all nine opens than maybe even Bass anticipated. So that the path to the elites is is going to be a bit of a gauntlet
0: see i gotta disagree with you there i think we're going to see a massive influx of young college anglers or guys just out of college because think about this not married no kids a lot less financial responsibility uh you can you're not thinking of financial ruin at, at that age you can float the 35 40 they got no problem traveling together splitting expenses sleeping on the floor of carpets it's nine tournaments that I think they're more likely to go at I think where you're going to see the 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 guys get squeezed out or the guys that have been fishing the three that have financially secure jobs, the 401ks, the stuff where they can't get the nine weeks off that are the talented middle of the middle of the road anglers. I'm talking about established and everything. And they're like, dude, I can't swing this because of how much I have to put on the line for something that is obviously not a guarantee. So I think you're going to see the top end and I think you're going to see a ton of those younger guys that just come out where you're like, where where are all these 20 to 24 year olds coming from. I think I think that's way less intimidating for a for a 20 to 24 year old right out of college that might have help from his parents that might have a job that might be able to do something and work on the road or just swing it somehow than the guys that are 25 to 40.
2: Obviously, you you may be absolutely right about that. What I hope doesn't happen, but what I absolutely expect to happen among that group, the 22, 23, 24 year old kids fresh out of college in the college program is that that they've been pumped so full of of this dream that uh, they're going to get out there and they're going to say basically well i'm going to pay my I'm gonna, why do i always drop into this goofy voice whenever i'm there's a lot of northern
0: guys you could be like oh i'm gonna pay my 16,200 dollars. you know <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll, I'll become a canadian angler for a moment <laughs> you can
0: just be a normal guy i know what you're saying
2: uh he said you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my... Oh, I'm now, now I'm Cajun. Oh, I'm going to pay my entry fees uh, for, for my second and third tournaments with what I win on my yeah. first tournament.
0: Yeah, uh, dude, if you're from Canada, you catch them. That's what we're learning. But it, with Coop coming in and the Jotsids and Gussie and stuff, like if you're dedicated and come down from Canada, you're going to catch fish. I mean, look at like Eric Luse, All these guys are... You come from Canada, you catch them. That's just what we're learning.
2: There's a lot of good Canadian anglers out there, which is amazing because I believe their bass season is three weeks long. Uh, but... I think a lot of these college kids are going to get out there. They're going to get their butts kicked early and they're going to find out that uh, either they think, oh, when we move north, I'm going to do better. When we do this, I'm going to do better. But a lot of them are going to drop out after two, three, four events, and they're not going to see the whole thing through. Uh, But it'll be interesting. And, And you know guys like the Bobby Lanes of the world, the other established pros of the world who are going to be out there fishing the Opens, they've got the talent, they've got the skills. They're not going to panic if they have a bad tournament. And uh, they'll be out there for for all nine.
0: I, I'm going to disagree with you again. Let's go back to the 2021. The guys who are on the elite series now that made it through: Cody Huff, Jay Shakurit, Jacob Fouts, Jonathan Kelly, Alex Redwine. I, I mean, dude, those guys are all like 22 to 23 years old. They went out and they didn't. They just went out and dominated last year, and then and then if you look in this year, we had the same thing happen
2: they didn't have to fish nine events to get there i think i think success in the elites and qualifying for the elites are two very different things you can qualify for the elites if you have six good days of fishing
0: not anymore yeah coop did it in the overall so did cole sands logan parks was just out of it in the overall but yeah no i agree with you you see poche up there yeah okay i I would agree with
2: you on that and the other thing about it and, and you see this every time you go to a derby um, is that um, the guys who have fished at the top level before, not only do they have really valuable experience, but these guys know how to fish three-day tournaments. And a lot of these younger guys don't have a lot of three-day tournament experience. And, and I see those guys consistently, I, I see the guys who have three- and four-day tournament experience consistently doing better than the guys who don't. And uh, you know how that plays out ultimately, I don't know. You could be absolutely right you no, you're... that's
0: right this year if you look at it key in the top let's just do the top uh, Keith Pochet, a lot of experience David uh Gasson, he's at Kenta Shane Lineberger Bradley Hallman Garrett Paquette Daryl Gleason those guys are all in the top 15 and out of a lot that's a, an abnormally amount who have had three and four day experience on multiple tour
2: levels and, and not all those guys had had huge success at the highest level, but they have a lot of experience fishing those multiple day tournaments, practicing for and fishing those multiple day tournaments. I think it's um, I think it's an acquired skill.
0: It is. It'll be very interesting to see how it goes down. Like, the the rate of attrition, though, so you're on the 200-point system. This is what I've been talking with a bunch of guys about, too, who are also fishing it. So on a 200-point system, Bass opens it up to 250 boats from the numbers I'm hearing. There's going to be 250 boats that you follow in Alabama on the first one. Probably in each division, They'll They'll fill it, 250. But that means that uh, 50, 100, 150, 205, that means 20% of the field, right? 20, 30, 40, 50, 50, 50. Yeah, 20% of the field will not get a point.
2: Yeah, but generally speaking, the difference between not getting a point and finishing, you know, 50, 60 places better than that is insignificant. Um, well, 50
0: points is a lot more than zero.
2: 50 points is a lot more than zero. But I'm, I'm just saying that uh, if, if you bomb that badly in a tournament uh, – you can make it up in a nine event season uh and and you can't in a three event season yeah so it's really
0: hard to if you get zero points though and now you're trying to finish in the top nine on eight tournaments versus nine tournaments
2: but again That's how a- many guys are you really competing against how many guys are going to actually fish all nine a lot what's a lot
0: i don't know what do you think a lot is
2: I think a lot might be 15, 16
0: that fish all nine this year. You are off by over a hundred Ken
2: that fish all nine. I'm not talking about, say they're going to fish all nine. Yeah. You're off by over a hundred. I'm not talking about sign up for all nine. I'm not talking about any A hundred,
0: a hundred guys this year. I will make a bet. I will make a bet with you this, this right now.
2: Okay. I'll, let me, let's be serious for a moment and let's put the over under at 50. You take the over, I'll take the under.
0: Any amount of money that you would like to bet on that, Ken, <laughs> I am a hundred percent and I will give you, I'll give you a hundred. There will be a hundred guys that fish all nine for the duration of the season this year in the opens.
2: Let's put a hundred bucks on it.
0: Ah, uh, that's a dollar an That's the easiest hundred bucks I've ever made.
2: All right. Write this down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that fish all nine.
2: The fish all nine that show up and compete in all nine. The over under is 50. You've got the over. Oh, you're doing
0: 50. I was giving it to you at a hundred. Let's cut the difference then and do 75 then.
2: Okay. 75.
0: I guarantee you, I will win that bet. All
2: right. You may, you may absolutely do it, but you know what? That, that means there will have been a cosmic shift in the world of, uh, professional and want to be professional bass fishing.
0: Ken, I am saying that there is a cosmic shift in the world of professional and want to be professional bass fishermen that is happening right now.
2: I I have missed those things before, so I I don't disbelieve you. I just think I I got to So we're
0: going with 75.
2: Let's go 75.
0: Okay. We can do that. Let's move on to, to more. uh, Yeah. Tom says pay panger. Now, Duke.
2: (laughs) You may be right, Tom. John
0: Stewart um, says ad no way.
2: Matt Matt is so confident, he does have me worried.
0: I've never been more confident in anything in my life. Anyway, <laughs> uh something that I am also have never been more confident in is the quality and entertainment value of this big bass big fish podcast that you have been talking about for A year now. It's all over the instant feedback. A lot of guys asking about it. And I do believe that you have an update for us, Mr. Duke.
2: I do indeed, Matt. Thank you for bringing it up. I appreciate the opportunity for the shameless plug. The Big Bass Podcast, which is me and Terry Battisti, and our buddy and uh, producer engineer, Nathan Benson, longtime friend of mine. Uh, we recorded our first episode last night and, uh, our plan is to launch it, uh, on January 3rd, 2023. So we're going to, we're going to get a bunch of them in the can and, uh, and, and we'll have them launched and, and out there for folks to, to check out on January 3rd. So really excited about it. Finally did it. And, and you know what it took for me to, to do this, Matt was, um, I suddenly realized there's just no way I was going to be able to do one a week for a year for the whole year and so forth that I was going to make myself crazy because I'm, I try to be very, very thorough and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just said, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. There's no way. So I, I looped in my buddy, Terry Battisti, who is a very serious bass historian, uh, extremely knowledgeable, extraordinarily smart guy. And And I thought, well, not only will will Terry help in, in that workload and dividing it up, but Terry's going to help make me more accountable on this. So we are co-hosting it. We are, you know, trying to create an interesting dynamic in the conversation between the two of us talking about uh, not, it's not going to be like a how-to thing on how to catch a big fish. It's going to be more about historical big fish. We're going to talk about the world record largemouth, the world record smallmouth, our first episode that we recorded, I'm not sure it's going to be the first one that we post, is about a fish caught in 1884 that uh, arguably should be the world record even today. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about a lot of fish that maybe people have never heard of. Wow. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, fish people have heard of, but we're going to try to give you a dynamic and tell you some things that, that maybe you didn't know. So we're really excited about it, and it was great to finally uh, record one last night.
0: Uh, For those of you that don't know, Terry runs Bass Fishing Archives. I just threw this uh, website up. It is a, I'm guessing that Terry's probably not making six figures on Bass Fishing Archives, and it is more of a passion project for him. I mean, it's what he does, but here's the thing. It's really hard to get people just jacked up about conservation efforts and history. Which are two of the most important things in the sport, in my opinion. So I'm gonna throw Terry Batisi's bass fishing archives up. And dude, if you want to get an amazing understanding of the sport with hours and hours of stuff that will make you just go, that's freaking crazy. I mean, here's electronics fishing 1962. Here's uh smallmouth magazines, Western Champs, 1976. A glance at the 1975, big money bass tournaments pop up, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. The spinnerbait companies, old bass boats, it is a treasure trove of information to really put what's going on in today into perspective. So little shout out to Terry Batisi there, Bass Fishing Archives.
2: Thank you for that, Matt. Yeah, Bass Fishing Archives is a terrific site, a wealth of information, and uh, we're hoping to bring the same thing yeah. to... uh big bass historical big January
0: 3rd bass. available on podcast platforms website where are we going to be able to listen to this
2: uh, yeah okay uh, all of you <laughs> okay that's that's Nathan's job Matt Nathan's going to make sure that we're on uh Apple podcasts and maybe Stitcher and whatever and we're going to have a uh, a website which is going to be the big bass you it. can email us dude uh, this our- is
0: going to blow anyway. up I don't think you understand how much this is going to blow up dude
2: well, I hope you're right. I mean, that would be great. Um, and and I'm so lucky to have friends like you who are who have been so supportive and so helpful, and have occasionally kicked me in the rear about not having done this earlier. So thank you for all of that.
0: I'm just saying, I think the two things that drive traffic and make people watch it are controversy slash cheating and big fish. And this is a combination of both of those. It's a you cannot both, miss yeah. with it. We got to go back to this because this is grinding my gear. So so Rich Lindgren says it'll be interesting to see how many versus how many compete for all year for the opens. Right. And then John follows up. You made your own points. Matt guys that bomb once or twice will drop. Here's why I don't think that will happen. I think you're going to see an influx of what I would call professional anglers who are used to competing on a trail who have worked with sponsors to feel somewhat, at least financially secure, like, hey, I am doing this for the next two or three years. They have the go ahead from their sponsors to do it, and they are not looking at it like, hey, I'm going to go back to my regular job. If I bomb a couple, they are looking at it as a career move, like Bradley Hallman did, who spent three years doing it. I think they are committed and they are into all nine. Their sh- focus may shift then to cashing checks or trying to win to get into the Bassmaster Classic, but I don't think you are going to have as many just random guys who then don't have anything in it. I think you're seeing an abnormal amount of anglers who are have sponsored dollars that are coming into their LLCs, their individual sole proprietor LLCs, to fish the opens and that messes it up if they stop fishing them. Because now they don't have any value at, even at that AAA level. So I think that's going to keep more anglers in it even when they're technically out of it for the top nine
2: okay (laughs) you may may be absolutely right i think you're describing a level of professionalism and commitment that i have not seen at the opens level and um i hope you're right because it'll it will it will indicate that that cosmic shift yeah a tectonic shift in the world of of professional bass fishing that would be brand new
0: when i win this bet um well no because i need a hat before i win the bet because i technically won't win the bet until next october i see you know you got the btl i need one of those hats that's that's a cool hat i like that you've already you're already uh exploiting the the merch drops
2: this this is a -a one-of-a-kind hat right now there's only one even even batiste and, and nathan benson don't have this hat Oh, uh, Tom's telling me I got to pay you now. Unbelievable. (laughs) Come on, folks. How about a little bit of confidence in me?
0: He's saying there will be at least 20 still in it to make nine at the last derby. I agree. I would venture to say there might be 25 or 30 in it at the last derby, especially if you're able to keep those numbers up over 200 because the volatility, the volatility of a point structure, the more boats you have in it towards the end, allow for a lot more jumping and a lot more dropping. Uh Uh-oh. Duke's reaching for something.
2: Absolutely right. Um, What are you reaching for, Ken?
0: What's that? What are you reaching for?
2: I'm reaching for – I'll show you. I'll show you. Don't you worry. I'm going to become the – I'm apparently going to become the the Carl Rove of um, BTL. Because I'm going to show you. Opens That's who attendance. I thought
0: Carl Rove was. Okay, now I'm interested to see where you're
2: going with this. Here's Uh-oh. here's opens attendance through the season. It starts high, it ends low. It's what's killed a, a lot of the opens uh, formats through the years. It's what's killed the Western Opens. You know, attendance is great. The first few events and then or the first event and then it drops and then by the by the final event of the season it's usually about half what it was
0: that okay um, let's well, well this year let's just look at this year then all right uh let's do the the
2: uh and, and I'll, I'll wait before you do that and, and by, by all means do that but I, I will say this i think the one thing one thing you have seriously going in your favor on this bet is that we are experiencing tremendous change
1: yeah. in the
2: sport over the last few years since the uh, split between bass and, and MLF and and it's a new dynamic out there um, and and each of the leagues is is either doing something in the case of MLF which draws people to it or drives people away and then you have bass on the other side doing less things differently but also drawing people to it or driving people away and um, it's, all, all things are possible I think right now
0: 189 fished the final Central Open on Sam Rayburn this year. No, that's not right. Yeah, that is right. 189. 225 fished the first Central Open on Ross Barnett.
2: That's a... fairly significant drop but it's not as much as in you in in ordinary years. yeah
0: I remember some years like where it ended on Oneida and there was like a hundred and two boats or something like that in it and you're like what the heck and then they still paid out 40
2: right and that's and that's historically the norm what you're describing um, historically the norm to drop to maybe 60 65 percent of the of the field from the first open um now, they've done some things to manipulate that, uh, like when you're in for the Bassmaster Classic. Um, stuff like that is, is designed simply to manipulate the system, simply to game the system and to keep people involved. Everything about, about bass tournaments at the highest level and at the level where you qualify for the highest level is geared, reverse engineered to keep people playing. Whether it is winning, you're in. Whether it is expanding it to say you gotta have you gotta fish nine, whether it's uh, whatever it is, but they're all everything they do is designed for something more than just having a great tournament. It's designed for maintaining the field, elevating the level of the field, you know, something like that. They, there's always stuff behind it.
0: I just can't believe we had a Carl Rove reference on BTL.
2: He's <laughs> always got his dry erase board, and uh, and and I like the dry erase board. That's yeah, that's that's well done. I'm going to bring this one out next time.
0: Okay, all right. Let's let's move hard by this. Let's take our first break. Of the show. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll argue about more stuff. I love it. BTL on a Wednesday with the man and host of the Big Bass Podcast.
1: Duke. We'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Loran sonar. From chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st.
3: The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name.
1: Hey, guys, Gerald Swindle, representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough, and I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket, because when you're fishing, you're holding your arms up. You're bad about getting water that runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got enough pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff from the water brain that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the winter time you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you don't want just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut we got it from small to 5 a most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting strap we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out they ain't gonna let you down
3: the kvd 100 jerkbait 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks.
1: KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice. Never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries... It's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like
0: no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic
1: and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.excellentlures.com and check them out for yourself.
0: All right, welcome back. BTL on a Wednesday with the man, Ken Duke. Uh, and before we had a spirited discussion about the Bassmaster Opens coming up in uh, in 2023, probably the most anticipated rollout that I can remember in recent history since the BPT kicked off in 2019. Would you not disagree with that?
2: I I think you're absolutely right. I think it's uh I think it's a, a big move by Bass and and I like it. I think it's a, a smart move by Bass. They're doing what they can to uh, to attract uh, the very best anglers and not just the best anglers, the most talent, which you, which you gain by going over a longer period of time, you know, the cream rises to the top. uh, So I think that's a a smart play, but also on a, on a really practical and business level, you want to get the guys who can afford to stay and play at the elite level. And, um, and anybody who can get out there and fish all nine events in the opens is likely to be one of those guys. I also say, watch out Matt Pangrack. There's a comment on the on the YouTube posts from uh, John Stewart. I believe it's John Stewart who who is at Bass and, and does a, a fabulous job with a lot of their programs there. He's he's was, tight. Was. With, uh, he's, he's retired. And, he's retired. Oh my gosh, John retired. That's right. Yeah. I heard that. I, I gotta get
0: him on the show. I think I've had some conversations with him. I think he's opening up a lodge on Grand Lake. Wow. Yeah, like you can go hang out, catch Grand Lake Bass, and stay at John's Lodge.
2: Well, John is one of the most passionate and dedicated people in in the bass fishing world. And uh, John and I did not always see eye to eye. He
0: he just described him as spirited discussions. (laughs)
2: Yes, Yes, John and I had many a spirited discussion. Thank you, John. That's right. But you know what? I I have a ton of respect for that guy. He's smart. He's passionate. And uh, I never doubted where his heart was. Uh, But we each doubted where the other's brain was at times. Yeah. But uh, I, I have a ton of respect for John Stewart.
0: And I did too. Uh, he was very instrumental in keeping the uh, Bass Nation alive and drawing as much attention as he could to the Bass Nation Championship, something that's very near and dear to my heart. And something that I think is is really in in not like in jeopardy, but in flux. I think we're going to see some changes to that. I think good changes, but like that was always an uphill battle with John. I would come on BTL, I remember, and rant and be like, "Why on live are we not promoting?" the fact that you're sending three guys to the Classic through this, that that's how Brandon got here and Caleb Sumral got here and all these guys that are catching up. Why could they not take a 45-second ad block and really pump it and say, hey, are you sitting at home in your living room with four weeks you could make the state team and go to your regional and go to this national championship and change your life for like less than $1,000 worth of entry fees and you only have to leave
2: your state twice? Yeah, you know... <sighs> back when I was in charge of the content and so forth on Bassmaster.com, I learned a few things and you alluded to them a little earlier, Matt. Uh, Conservation does not get an audience. No. Um, And as far as competition and so forth goes, um, you know, the elites would draw a big audience. Bigger than an average day where your content is primarily how to and stuff like that. When there was an open your uh your audience would be about the same as when you're running some good how-to content Mm -hmm. and and everything i'll call it below opens even though that's not the best term but uh if it was a a nation tournament or something like that your audience grassroots your audience would actually go below an average day um and and that's one of the challenges when that happens it's hard to dedicate the resources To uh, to help elevate Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, and it's a double edged sword because you can easily say, well, if we dedicated the resources and we promoted it, then it would elevate. And and perhaps that's right. But by the same token, it's hard to devote the resources to something that's not performing at the same level as some no, of I other. agree.
0: I mean look over on MLF like I mean right now they got thrifts like man cave up. It's just freaking crazy, but I like way more likely to watch 18 minutes of that than like what's going on at a BFL wild
2: card or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. And and you know it's it's a like I said it's a double-edged sword. There's really no winning. Uh I I always, you know, I'm guilty of this like I think most people are. I'm always trying to find a way to win, but and to solve the problem, but sometimes there's no solve. Sometimes there's only compromise yeah. and, and trying to figure out what doesn't piss off everybody in the known universe.
0: Speaking of the Bass Nation, uh, you texted me about this uh, very familiar name that just won it. William Davis Jr. got the job done on a crazy, stingy uh, pickwick. Uh, John Stewart will actually like this. So Jared Miller uh, did the whole loophole thing and got in through Colorado, like actually didn't joy bass nation has like a residence anyway, long story short, he did it hundred percent legally, but he made the state team again and he made it last year when we fished in uh, Kansas. God, I can't even remember the name of the lake. It traumatized me that bad. I blocked it out and put it in a deep recess <laughs> on my mind. And it was, I mean, it was, it was absolutely brutal. And Pickwick was so tough that Miller texted me. It was tougher than the regional in Kansas last year. And I said, oh my gosh, that is tough. Uh, oh, yeah, but William Davis gets a job done. Yeah, William you know? Davis gets a job done. And that is a name that is probably not familiar with many people, but very, I mean, he's they've been, that family has been in the industry for a long time. And there's a lot of deep connections and roots there.
2: Absolutely, and you know it's interesting that we're talking about Will Davis, who just won the Bass Nation Championship, and also John Stewart, who used to run a lot of those events. Um, you know, John used to always be upset with me when I would do my Bassmaster Classic odds on on uh, Bassmaster.com because I always had the nation guys as long shots. Well, John, you retired too soon, brother. I, I'm 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 going to tell everybody right now. Will Davis can win the Bassmaster Classic. He can absolutely win that tournament. He is that good. He has that kind of mental toughness. And he has that kind of game. So finally, John, here's a, a nation guy who I would pick to be way, 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 way better than having an average shot at winning the Bassmaster Classic. And, and to your point, Matt, yeah, the the Davis family, Davis Bait Company, um, Will's dad. Uh, see, I call him. I call Will is the guy who just won the Bass Nation. William is the dad. Uh, William built the first swim jigs. You know, we will never know who, who was the first guy to swim a jig. It's whoever wound a jig in after crawling it and hopping it and didn't get a bite. So he hustles it in and bam, one hits. That's the first guy who ever swam a jig. But William Davis built the first jigs designed for that purpose. And he did it back in the 70s when he was 15 years old.
0: All right. So this is the cool thing. So like I started my first national publication and article, which I don't write like this anymore was Bass West USA magazine. And uh, this is kind of cool. So when I heard this, I was like, I feel like I wrote something for Davis Bait Company. And this is still on their website. This was from 2010. And it was a bait company profile, Davis Bait Company. And I remember, right, like I was reading it and I was like, "Eh, it kind of sounds a little like my pretentious writing at the time, you know, which it which it was like, I mean, this like how pretentious is this? That's where the story of William Davis and Davis Bake Company diverges from the path most often traveled by small lure companies. It's a freaking fishing magazine. Just use normal language, Matt. But anyway. Uh, it talks about how you know it goes through all that. And I, I, at the time, I remember him talking about like his kid was really good and into it. So this was 2010. So this was 12 years ago. So his kid would have been 17, 18, just going to college. And there's a sidebar at the bottom. And it says, once a dire tournament angler, Davis said that he gave up the majority of his tournaments to focus on the business and ultimately his family. Once my son is out of college, I may go back fishing more, said Davis. Until then, my focus is on my family and the company. That should leave time more. Um, and, and it was cool that that was still available because I had to Google it. I was like, there's no way that's still out on the website. But it is. And then if I was right, like that was him up on stage with w- William Jr. when he won the national championship, correct?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: dude, that's su- such a cool full circle story right there. And now he's has a potential to fish the Elite Series with part of his entry fees paid for. He's in a classic that you said he's going to be one of the favorites for. I mean... Just a freaking awesome story.
2: Well, it is. They're they're a great, great family, wonderful people. Uh to know them is to love and respect those guys. Um, and and I think Will is actually in a, a strong position because, you know, he's gonna slip under the radar. Not a lot of people are gonna pick him, not a lot of people are gonna follow him on the water, maybe, but this is a guy who I, I think has a I think he's got the best chance to win from the nation. Uh in forever in forever because remember Dude. when kirchell won in 94 nobody was expecting kirchell to do well he had finished last but he'd already year fished year. one yeah he'd already fished one uh but this guy is fishing his first bass master classic he's going to go out there and fish the elites uh he's the real deal and and william davis is the the uh, you, you can't say he's the father of swimming a jig but you can say he's the father of the swim jig and he's also the father of the shaky head and uh, this guy has, has had a massive impact on Didn't on he work Will. with
0: Aaron on that big time? Wasn't he a big – didn't Aaron and him work really closely together for a lot of time?
2: They did. They worked together a lot on what, what William and Davis Bait Company called the shaky fish, okay. which is a uh, descendant of the scrounger. Yeah, okay. it's a, it, and it's a great bait. And it was the bait that, that Will Davis won the Bass Nation Championship on. Was the uh, shaky fish, which a lot of people would identify as a scrounger? It's a I got, it's got that clear Lexan or whatever lip.
0: Uh, all right, let's make another bet. Uh-oh. I had uh, Tristan McCormick on yesterday on the show. Uh, Strike King, college bracket champion, fished all the opens under the college with Bethel. Won the open to get into next year's classic. He's from Tennessee. Very familiar with that stretch of Tennessee River. Didn't wouldn't he didn't say he was like a juggernaut on it, but he said that he was very familiar with it. He has already fished in a classic. He fished in the classic last year at Hartwell, so he knows what's up. He knows what it's gonna be. He said it's a tournament he thinks. So I think I think you could see Tristan McCormick and Will Davis Jr. In the top 10 on the final day of the Classic. I would take, I, w- I, w- I think that that is a very strong likelihood after talking with you about William Davis, his affinity to- towards current, that type of fishing, and then what the interview with Tristan was.
2: So what is what is the bet here? Which one finishes higher?
0: No, I, I mean, I think they both make the top 10. There's no bet between us. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I think that if you could parlay two anglers like to make the top 10, I would pick those two.
2: I think those are great picks. That's I not a bad bet. Picks. That's
0: not a bet. I guess that's a bold statement. Let's make a bold prediction. Let's call it a bold prediction instead of a bet.
2: To have to have guys coming from where they came from to finish in the top 10 in the Classic, that's ve- it would be very unusual to have a Nation guy and an Open winner both in the top 10. That doesn't happen very much.
0: It's going to happen. Uh, holy cow, we haven't talked about anything that's on the list.
2: Mr. Duke. We're <laughs> yeah, 45 minutes for- in. For, for everybody watching or listening here, just to give you a little dynamic about how BTL comes to life and, and comes out to you. Um, I'll get a text. I got, I got a text last week from, from Matt. I had reached out to Matt for something unrelated about Will Davis, about Will Davis. And, um, and anyway, so he texted me back and says, Hey, can you do BTL on Wednesday? So I said, sure. Thanks. I, I always love doing BTL. And then this morning, at about, what, maybe 8.40? My time? Yeah, about 7.30, then. my time. Yeah. So I get a, I get a call from Matt saying, hey, here's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so I have I have basically no heads up. So if I look really stupid and scattered. <laughs> I gave you a
0: half hour. You need 10 minutes. I pointed that no, out. <laughs> I, I will say this. You just that, go that, to your book. You open it to that page. You write a couple of the numbers down and you've you got it.
2: The 45 minutes he gave me was unprecedented. I've never had that much time before. And there have been many, many times when with Matt or before when it was Matt and Mark when I would get absolutely zero heads up as to what was happening. That's talk the best
0: about. way it is. All right, let's start on the list then. Okay. Uh, what's the most imp- okay, we'll start with Larry Nixon returning to bass and that will parlay into what you feel are the most important statistics in analyzing and placing where an angler stands in history. So, A, in your opinion, how significant is it that Larry Nixon fishes the last Open on Sam Rayburn to be an active BASS member, then has the statistics to take the Legends exemption and is now competing in the Bassmaster Elite Series after a hiatus with the FLW uh, Tour for, what, 15 years, 14, 15 years?
2: Yeah, Larry hasn't fished. last BASS event Larry had fished, I believe, was the 2006 Classic. Did he make that one?
0: Now, nah, look it up one second. Continue. Um,
2: I, I love it. I love it. I love seeing Larry Nixon back. My, my hope, my concern, my fear is that Bass will not leverage it properly, will not make a big enough deal about it because um, there are not a lot of people currently at Bass who have a ton of uh, historical and um, institutional knowledge and background. There are a lot of people who don't appreciate who Larry Nixon is, and, uh, and that's unfortunate. But I'm, I'm very hopeful that the ones who do have the institutional knowledge and, and some history will will embrace Larry Nixon's return, because I think it's a big deal. And, and Larry Nixon, I think, could absolutely qualify for another Bassmaster Classic. And I think anybody who, who doesn't think that, that Larry Nixon is capable of finishing uh, in the top half of the elite field, is kidding themselves
0: you're correct outside of the 21st place finish on sam rayburn which i didn't know this was going on like i did he do anything that said he was fishing it because i'm looking at the standings going i'm sliding in for a check and i'm like wait a second larry nixon
2: Well, that that kind of goes back to what i'm saying about uh let's let's make a big deal out of this this is one of the all-time greats one of the five Six greatest professional anglers of all time. He's coming back to what we'll call his roots because he's been fishing bass since about 1977 and uh, or at least full time. He fished from 77 through the 2005 season and uh wildly impressive record there. and And he needs to be given a spotlight. He deserves it. And, you know, it does a great thing for your audience, too, because when there was the big defection from the Elite Series over to MLF, It left just a handful of guys who had meaningful history at Bass. It left, obviously, the great Rick Klun. It left David Fritz. It left Bernie Schultz. It left, but just a handful of people. Mm -hmm. Getting Nixon back to me is a big deal. I'll be checking, I'll be scanning the standings every day of the elite season, looking for Larry Nixon, just like I do for Rick Klun.
0: Okay. So that. That parlays nicely into the next thing on the list, which is what stats do you consider most valuable in determining the legacy and where an angler sits all time? Are we looking at wins, classics, angler of the years, consistencies, qualifying for championships, top 20s? What are we looking at when you're looking at where this angler and this is a very small group of anglers that we're comparing like i'm i am let's do it let's do it ken let's compare larry nixon to rick Klun. let's have this conversation right now because you are the only person that i think has the ability to speak of this conversation
2: well thank you that's high praise i appreciate that i'm not sure it's true but thank you anyway um when when we talked before the show, I had a different idea of where you were going with this. Uh, I didn't know you were talking about evaluating an angler all time, but uh, I thought you were talking about evaluating an angler in a season relative to the rest of the field, kind of thing. No, no, so no. I'm talking all time, a, like
0: we're looking back on it because now Larry Nixon is coming back.
2: Well, let's let's examine a couple of things, and and one of the things I think that's a big deal is number of major championships qualified for. And and Larry Nixon leads the way, uh, and it's not particularly close. You know, Con has been to 32 classics, and he's fished a handful of FLW championships. Um, Nixon's fished a lot more FLW championships, and Nixon has fished, I think, 25 classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon's got the edge there, and I think that's I think that's important. But I'm not willing to put all my statistical eggs in that one basket. Because once you get to the championship, obviously, it's nice if you can win it. And Clun's done that four times to Nixon's one. Um, other guys who've qualified for a lot of championships, you know, you got to look at uh, guys like George Cochran. Guys like Gary Klein, um, Denny Brower, uh, Kevin Van Dam's qualified for a lot of championships. Um, but Nixon has qualified for a lot more. Uh, Is some of that because Nixon's older, you know, he's got seven or eight years on Klein. He's got, uh, you know, 17 years on, on Van Dam. That that's obviously a factor. We don't know. We don't know how long some of these guys are going to hang around, but, but having qualified for so many championships is a big deal to me. And if I had to isolate one stat to evaluate guys for, their, for the totality of their career, I would probably pick number of, of major championships qualified for. And I would restrict that to the Bassmaster Classic, the Forest Wood Cup, and the Red Crest. What do you think? That
0: sounds fair. So since 2000...
2: I do not... Th- but Let me back up. I do not think that, despite the fact that Larry Nixon has qualified for more than anybody else, I do not rank Larry Nixon number one in... in among the all-time great tournament anglers i think he's i think he's top five or six is rick number one in your book i I think it's kevin van dam really yeah kevin's won as many classics as rick has kevin's been to almost as many classics and, and you know kevin might have exceeded rick's classic total had he stayed at bass um he'd still be chasing it i think but and and kevin also won uh, seven angler of the year titles to rick's one so i'm gonna rank van Dam number one um mm-hmm. i'm gonna rank con number two i'm gonna rank roland martin number three uh then it gets you know so hazy and almost subjective because where do you put bill dance where do you put larry I nixon think where do you put hank parker some
0: ahead of, those of- guys, like you have to put Larry Nixon ahead of them because of the longevity. Listen, the guy's qualified for four F or fifteen FLW cups since yeah. two thousand. Fifteen since two thousand. He's in his seventies. He's averaged ten point four tournaments a year since nineteen seventy six. The longevity, I think, in some of that bumps him up over I mean, yeah, those guys are still relevant, but how long has it been since since Bill Dance was competitively fishing?
2: Bill Bill ended his career in in 1980, and uh, but but you know what and and the times were so different. You know it was hard, if not impossible, to earn a living off fishing a tournament and your sponsorships back then. Bill went into television. Hank Parker went into television. I don't Hank care Parker about television.
0: I want to talk about tournaments.
2: I, I understand that, but w- with regard to Bill Dance and Hank Parker in particular, we're not talking about guys who were. Who, who, you know, slunk. Ah, don't can't get anything right. Word. Who, who hid their faces and went off to television. We're talking about guys who are on top of their game. Yeah, and went off to television. Um, and and who knows what they might have done. They weren't mediocre anglers who left for TV on the decline. They were top level anglers who chose another path because the path in tournament fishing wasn't good. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm not going to give them credit for something they didn't do. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop them a little bit.
0: So that means Larry would be number four in your, Uh, in your list. uh,
2: But you also got Denny Brower. Um, and, and I'll, it's such a, a tough call, but yeah, Larry Nixon, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to say Larry Nixon's number four. I got no problem with that.
0: Okay. That's interesting. So since 2000, Rick has qualified for six classics. Larry's qualified for 15, uh, FLW cups and the field size was typically 50 to 70 anglers more than the uh, elite series from 2006 on. Now the fields were different from 2000 to 2006 before they went to that kind of rough 100 number.
2: And I don't think the, uh, I don't think the FLW field was of the same quality caliber. That's also, that's also
0: a good point.
2: And that's a factor here. And that's, that's why evaluating guys is is so tricky and, and so subjective. Um, you know, you and I can talk about who had the stronger strength of field for the rest of the day, and, and we won't reach any sort of meaningful conclusion. It'll just be our, our personal feelings about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, since 2010, he's only had seven top tens in the last 12 years, but then you look at it and you're like, dang, that's almost a top ten a year.
2: But he hasn't won. Kluns won twice in the last ten years.
0: God, that's that's a great discussion.
2: I I love discussions like this, but what's frustrating to me is there can be no meaningful resolution. I thoroughly enjoyed the... uh, the fan poll that ESPN did back in 2005, they called it the greatest angler debate, mm-hmm. and uh, Rick Clunn won, hands down. wasn't close. Uh, Roland Martin was second, uh, Bill Dance was third, but Clunn won hands down. And and I learned so much just from how that vote went down. I had access to the actual numbers of, of the polling and they weren't released, but I have access to that. Can share it with you sometime. Happy to share it on the show. If I can dig it up off the computer somewhere, but um, it showed me that to the audience, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's some objective truth. I'm saying to the audience, Clun's four classic championships were more valuable than Roland Martin's nine angler of the year titles. And I thought that was very interesting yeah, it
0: is. Not nine is unbelievable, and four is unbelievable. I think that unbelievable. you,
2: as a as a as a tournament angler, as a competitor, wouldn't you personally rather win angler of the year than to win the season-ending championship? I mean, take money out of it. Take Listen, money out
0: of it. I'll be honest. Growing up, when I went was at Rock Springs Pond catching bass. I never pretended that it was the Bass for me to win Angler of the Year. I always pretended that that Bass was to win the Bassmaster Classic. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, I I grew up with the Bassmaster Classic, not the Angler of the Year. It wasn't until I got in the industry and started hanging out and covering the professional anglers and the Angler of the Year race that I learned the value that this small community puts on Angler of the Year and how difficult it is to win. But I think if you ask it, nine out of ten fishing fans would rather win a Bassmaster Classic than an Angler of the Year,
2: Uh, and that's obviously true. You're obviously right about that because that's what those polling results showed in 2005. But I also think that that you know the kid and you fishing the pond is is trying to win the classic because that's the immediate thing. That's the uh, that's like that's like hitting the three pointer as the buzzer sounds, you know whereas you don't really win angler of the year or mvp by hitting a shot as the buzzer sounds right you win it over the long haul
0: that's good stuff all right second break of the show when we come back here's what we're getting into we're getting into 10 pounds smallmouth because here's you're, you're the man with the big the 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 big bass podcast <laughs> so right. we can't we can't have a 10 pounder caught within the last month and and not talk To the host of the Big Bass Podcast, which debuts on all podcasts and social media platforms on January 3rd, 2023, with co-host Terry Battisti of Bass Fishing Archive fame. Absolutely. And I also want to get your take. We'll close the show on this take. I want to get your take on how we will look back on the Every Fish Counts era lasted four years will it come back how do we measure that because you're talking about the meat of the careers of some of the most talented anglers to ever pick up a rod and reel do you look at it on numbers like how do you gauge that where will it? where will this stand and will it ever come back you good with that
2: mr duke i'm, I'm good with talking about anything with matt Pangrack. Are you kidding me on btl
0: ptl on a wednesday we'll be back right after this
2: are you looking to install your own fishing electronics well the bass tank is here to help you the solution is the bass tank power harness it takes the guesswork out of installation no more voltage issues or interference designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage Installation done right with the help of the Bastank Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bastank Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thefasttank.com.
4: The new Android Series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android Series features 36-ton multidirectional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John Crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got The Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you want to give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD.
3: Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well-suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round Bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in two-aught, three-aught, four-aught, and five-aught, this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence.
0: All right, back. Apparently, we were, like, live for one of those segments for a commercial, or a commercial didn't run or something because they were, like, you're live and don't know it, or maybe it was just a brief moment. I don't know. But we're back. We're wrapping things up. Clay wants to know who won... Who won most in a single tournament, Dudley or Suggs? It would have to be, was it Suggs? How many years did they do the million dollars, two or three?
2: It is Suggs. a couple of times. I mean, yes, Suggs did it and Bennett did it. Um, there, There's a guy I would love to see on BTL with you is Michael Bennett.
0: We have worked on that. I've been working on that. It's a long, arduous process. Uh, so the three... The three people who have won the most in a in a event, so this is no joke. It would be Suggs Michael Bennett, and the guy who won the fan the million dollars in fantasy fishing during that year. Fun note on that. I don't believe he's getting paid anymore for it. I bet Suggs and Bennett got their full mill moving out. on out uh. They I don't know if you noticed this or not or heard have been following the news, but uh it's like there was a 10 pound smallmouth caught out of Lake Erie a couple of weeks ago.
2: Mr. Gallagher, yeah, I believe that's the first uh certified 10 pound smallmouth since 1986 on Dale Hollow. So that shows you just how rare those critters are. It just it just doesn't happen. Um so very cool. And And that 10 came from much, 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 much further north than than a fish of that size has ever come from before. As a matter of fact, uh, most of the 10 pound smallmouths ever recorded came out of Dale Hollow, which is on the Tennessee, Kentucky border, including the world record of 11 pounds, 15 ounces by David Hayes caught on July 9th, 1955. Is that a sketchy record? Are you going to cover that in the Big Bass podcast? We are absolutely going to cover that in the Big Bass Podcast. That's going to be a three-episode story right there. Oh, so it's more um,
0: than just guy goes out, catches 1115, and everyone congratulates him. If you can make three episodes out of it, there's some backstory there. Don't give up any of the juice, but tease there's us. There's
2: a huge backstory there. There's huge backstory. He caught the fish in 1955. Forty years later, the fish was disqualified by all the record-keeping organizations. Ten years after that, the fish was reinstated. And I, I will claim some credit for that. And uh, and so there's a lot of backstories, a lot of drama in that. And I was very uh, fortunate to have been a part of it all.
0: Really? I will be looking forward to that. So here's my take on this 10-pounder. This is the So this is the first 10-pound smallmouth ever caught out of the Great Lakes. It's documented. And Randy had that 9-something out of Erie. That was the second biggest.
2: 9-even. Yeah, 9-even. Okay. And that's, I guess, still the Ohio record.
0: This is the cleanest giant freak show fish that there has been as far as no smoke around it whatsoever. I mean, this was done on the book zero. Yeah, well, I saw these guys out there with bar, 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 anything. There is no smoke around this. Legitimate guy's legitimate catch followed all of the freaking procedures weighed absolutely 100% correctly x-rayed the whole nine yards this is irrefutably a 10.15 pound smallmouth bass and will never be questioned
2: so it seems yeah so it seems and and it's interesting there there have been plenty of giant fish you know the the world record largemouth bass that Monabu karita caught back in 2009 that's a pretty squeaky clean record, too. There was some some uh, people casting aspersions upon it early, but Karita passed a polygraph, uh, according to IGFA. Karita submitted the cleanest world record application they had ever seen. Wow! Um, it's good to see that this fish is is also apparently beyond reproach. Uh, but you know, this fish will will not be subjected to the same standards because it's not a world record.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Still, and and, it's a ten pounder, but it's not it's not like it's even the second or the third or the fourth biggest smallmouth ever recorded.
0: Is it in the top ten?
2: Yeah, it's in the top ten. Which is wildly impressive. And like (laughs) I said, it's the first ten in thirty six years, which is crazy.
0: Hey, when the other tens were caught, was there a were they clustered together? Like same leg time wise and stuff, or is it just sporadic?
2: It, it's been it's been awfully sporadic. So it's and, not like um, a
0: not like the California deal where we just saw boom, 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 boom.
2: No, and 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 I think that's that's a great question because that maybe tells us a little something about the genetics. There are people in that uh, Dale Hollow area who believe or want to believe that their fish are somehow genetically superior, and maybe they are, because Dale Hollow is one of very very few places ever to have produced a 10 pounder and most of their um most uh, having produced the most they still spread them out Mm
0: -hmm.
2: from 1955 to 1986 and and some nines mixed in as well so that's impressive uh it'll be interesting to see if more giants come out of erie because this will certainly put some pressure on them and and that peely island you know every time you read about or hear about people fishing on erie it sounds like they're they're cast into the bank of Pelee Island, doesn't it? I mean, that's the one place yeah, you always hear about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, has it ever produced a nine in that area? Has it produced eight? Where
0: was Where was
2: Randy? Where Yeah, where was Randy? Uh, his His fish counted as an Ohio record, so I don't know where that puts him geographically. Maybe it Maybe it has more to do with where he launched um, from than than where he caught the fish. I don't know.
0: Did Billy Westmoreland ever catch a 10? Chris would like to know.
2: Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, he he claims that he caught a couple of 10s, but he, he kept at least one of them very quiet because he thought that he was on the track of, of a new world record. Of course, the world record smallmouth is 11 pounds, 15 ounces, and I don't think that's going to be broken in my lifetime. You don't? I do not.
0: Speaking of records, now you want to put up you and tie a bow on that. I mean, there's a bunch that's going to be said and that can be said and that has already been said about it. I just want to get your take on that. Do you have any other burning, burning things that you want to get off your chest about the
2: 10 pound <laughs> smallmouth? About the, t- the the Gallagher 10? Yeah.
0: Like, were you able to sleep that night or? Oh, I was thrilled to hear it. I was Yeah, that's what I meant. Hear- I mean, that's like what you live for right now, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I've always been, people, you know, people have a weird, take on on what my position is or interest is in the industry and and a i'm a i'm a magazine editor and a writer b you know that's that's what i am i I identify myself as well i'm an angler as it says on my shirt Mm -hmm. but i'm I'm a bass fishing writer so i love i love stories about bass fishing and a lot of people will tell you oh i'm a statistician i'm 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 into stats well no i just think stats are a great tool to tell a story or people say oh he's just a history guy no, I'm just fascinated by the history and I, I work it into stories where I can. And then people say, oh, he's a tournament analysis guy. N- no, I just think tournaments are, are fun and, and interesting and, and have an interesting story. Uh, or, oh, he's a tackle guy. Well, no, I'm the editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine and I'm, I, I enjoy bass fishing tackle, but I'm just a bass fishing writer. And yeah, I live for any cool story, whether it's a 10 pound smallmouth or a, uh, a world record largemouth or a cool new bait type coming out or uh, uh, an interesting tournament development. I-, I love it all. I'm eaten up by it.
0: How many, is there a 11-pound smallmouth swimming right now, in your opinion? Like, is the world record, okay, let's do this. Obviously, the world record spotted bass is swimming right now somewhere, based on what we've seen recently. Like, that 100%, I think, unequivocally, without a reproach, exists.
2: Oh, it's probably on somebody's, on somebody's hook and line right now.
0: Yeah, the world record mean mouth is, there's, like, schools of world record mean mouth down on, is it OHIV down there that they broke, like, six times last winter or something like that?
2: And I would add, who cares? Ah, the
0: guy caught catches it probably cares. I would like to have, I mean, anything world record. I don't care if it's a long-nosed gar, a drum, a buffalo, a frickin' side. I want to catch a world record. There's only X number of world records.
2: I hear you. I like, hear if you. I
0: catch, like, a red-tailed creek chub that has never been caught before, I'm taking that thing in to get weighed. <laughs> uh so that exists uh i think obviously the world record shoal bass exists out there somewhere and red eye yeah. and guadalupe i mean i think it's just a matter of those guy people not being fished for with the same level of
2: well their their you know their range is so restricted maybe yeah. they if you go per surface acre they may be as hotly pursued as the largemouth or the smallmouth or the spot yeah um it's just that their range is so restricted.
0: Okay. Uh largemouth. Is there is there a world record largemouth swimming in in the world right now? It's a simple I mean you obviously can't say yes or no, like with hundred percent certainty.
2: Of course, yeah. I will say yes, but I'm doubtful that it's in the United States. Biwa. Biwa would be a good bet.
0: Okay. Is there a world record smallmouth swimming right now?
2: I'll say no. That's interesting. It's 1115. It's more than a pound bigger than the than the number 2 smallmouth. More than a pound. That's that's a that's the Grand Canyon.
0: I mean, look at how many elite series and MLF events you have on Thousand Islands and how many times big bass is 612 or 613 and never 7 pounds. Like that's a and and now granted it's a different time of the year as far as but I'm just saying if there were freak shows that existed you think you would see the odd 7 8 to 8 pounder that time of the year with the guys that are out there and the best guys on those fisheries. Like it's just amazing to me on how they and I I understand those fish might be 7 pounds in full feed and Approaching 8 pounds But it's still It seems that that's
2: where it stops Yeah but You and I both know that if we were out there Trying to win a tournament We'd try to find the biggest school of 4 or 4.5 pounders That we could find And maybe we stumble on a a 5 or 6 If we're trying to catch A a giant fish As soon as we hook a couple of 4s The smart thing to do would be to leave Get the hell out of there
0: I know but I still think Chris and Corey are out there trying to catch eight pounders. Don't tell me that they're not trying to, I mean, they try to freak show it every time they go out.
2: Well, maybe after they've got a live well of uh, uh, with 24 pounds in it, but they're not trying from the get go.
0: I agree. I don't, Do we even want to get into that? Yeah. Let's get into this last topic. Let's close it out with this. I just, I've wanted to get your take on this. Uh, I don't know how neatly you can, you can dis- describe it, but in your opinion, put on the, Ken Duke historian and statistician cap. Uh, MLF goes back to every fish <laughs> every from every fish counts to your best five, catchway release, call up, kind of the standard that it's been since it went from the seven fish or the six fish, which we've already gone through that whole history of how it's changed. But it seems like, just like I had Rick Pierce on, it seems like, you know, 250 is kind of the horsepower deal for the last number of years. It seems like five fish is kind of locked in for the future. Maybe we'll go to 300, maybe we'll go down to three fish who the hell knows but right now it's five fish to put it into perspective we've had crazy years from edwin evers jacob wheeler jordan lee uh how do you put that into historical context and where do you put the 2019 2021 and 22 so it'd be four years of the every fish counts with all the weight how do you Do you just go based off of finishes and it doesn't matter how they got to the first place finish as far as how it went or.
2: I think you have to, I think you have to go by finish. And I say that because the tournaments are so radically different that it's almost like a different sport, almost like an entirely different sport. Uh, I remember Boyd Duckett came out and said um, a few years ago when they were talking about the number of, they didn't see as many big fish coming out of MLF as they had from five fish tournament formats. And, and he said, well, you know, we fish just the same and we're catching just as many big fish as ever. Well, no, no, that's not, that's not accurate. I don't believe that. I think you're fishing differently in the every fish counts format versus the five fish limit format. And, and anybody who tells me that's not the case, you got a, 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 an uphill battle to convince me that that's right. Um, I think that, uh, but I'll, i I want to say this. I think the every fish counts format is every bit as legitimate, as interesting, as dynamic as the five fish limit format. Um, that doesn't mean to say that I, I just as soon fish an every fish counts tournament as a five fish limit. I think personally, I'm better off fishing a five fish limit tournament, but I like the every fish counts format quite a bit. I did not like all of the little nuances they added to it. Like, oh, it's got to be at least a pound. Oh, it's got to be at least two pounds. I didn't like that. You just wanted every fish. Yeah, just weigh every fish. Just weigh (laughs) every fish. There you go. Let's go at it. Um, So that frustrated me. Um, But I I, still like the format. I think it failed not for the reasons that a lot of people want to point to and say, that, oh, it failed because uh, people don't like Every Fish Counts. I don't believe that. I think that one of the reasons it failed was because they had a harder time getting their message out. They didn't have the same strength of media platforms that BASS had and has. Um, I think So I think that was a, a, a hurdle, a challenge for them. I think that um, one problem is You can't take that every fish counts format and extrapolate it to the Saturday club tournament. There's too much technology required. There's too much connectivity required. It doesn't translate. And if you can't take the format down to the grassroots, you're going to struggle. You're simply going to struggle because that's what the audience wants. They want to watch something that they feel they can also do participate in and, and be involved in. And the five fish limit is that the five fish limit is something that, that everybody can basically do. You, you catch five, you throw them in the live well, you haul them back to the ramp and you weigh them. Uh, anybody who's interested in tournament fishing has probably done that. Um, I think every fish counts will be back in some format at some point. I don't know. If it'll happen in two years and five years and 50 years
0: for an angler of the year. Cause they're keeping it for the, uh, heavy hitters event and for the made for TV stuff. But you're talking about in a meaningful way, not that it's not meaningful, meaningful for the guys who win well. it. I mean, for like angler of the year,
2: winning tournaments, exactly. Stuff like that. exactly, making championships, but, and you know what we haven't seen, Matt, and what I would love to see, um, what I would really love to see is, is some sort of tournament format that that goes really right down to the grassroots level like if you and i are sharing a boat and we're out fishing one day what are we going to be focused on i'll tell you what we're going to focus on we're going to focus on who catches the first one who catches the most and who catches the biggest that's i want to see- biggest that's
0: a dollar bill everyone does it in the boat i mean if you're out with your buddy that's what you do three bucks dollar for the first Oh, I got a dollar on you. Yeah, but I'm catching the most.
2: Oh, but I caught the biggest. I want to see that in a tournament format. I want these guys to launch 30 minutes early one day. They can all run to their spot. And and everybody's got a clock on them and a marshal. Let's see who puts the first one in the boat. And that's worth X. And uh, and then I want to see the tournament proper start. And once the tournament proper starts, then you can find out who catches the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth on down. And you can score a point that way. So the top guy, if there are fifty boats, the top guy gets fifty points and and the bottom guy gets zero points. See John
0: Stewart saying that every fish, that's how he does it in his boat. John Stewart also fishes Milford. So typically <laughs> every fish first, is the first fish. yeah, it's also the biggest fish. And it's also the most fish, so you're basically just fishing for three dollars.
2: <laughs> and I've spent way too many way too many days on the water where that first fish won everything, like you're talking about, Matt. That first fish was worth three bucks. Uh, so I want to see, and then I want to see the most, but I also want to see, I also want to see a not just, not just part of the day, uh, not just. I want to see a focus on big fish that we've never really seen in tournament fishing. I want to see a day or at least a segment of a day focused to who can catch the biggest fish.
0: That's heavy hitters. I like heavy hitters.
2: I like heavy do that hitters. with heavy hitters.
0: That's a hundred thousand dollars for one 50 for one 25 for another. That's a tournament within a tournament, but it's focused on the big bass. That's
2: what they you could, just described every tournament though. I, I pitched this to those guys. I pitched this to MLF in 2014. I said, what if you guys had a format where, um, where every day, Every day of competition, you isolate a one-hour or two-hour period toward the end of the day, and you call it lunker time. And uh, only one fish that you catch during that period counts, but you multiply its weight times three, okay? Now when Matt Pangrack pulls into a pocket and he's throwing a buzz bait and a big fish blows up on it but misses, Matt Pangrack has a decision to make. Does he throw back in there with a Senko and try to catch that fish now?
0: Do I wait for lunker time?
2: You wait for Lunker time when that eight becomes a 24. Uh, it adds an element of strategy. Uh, somebody will, will rise up and become a star as a result of this because somebody's going to be better at it than everybody else.
0: I could picture Marty Stone being like, it's time for Squencher's Lunker
2: time. And then wah, 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 bells and
0: stuff. And
2: it, it becomes an opportunity for somebody to sponsor it. Um, and also, it become and I would let I would let people use nets during this period. Let's get Freybill or a ranger or somebody like that involved on in a sponsorship I level. Feel who's like boat flips well. only
0: boat flips only during lunker time, Ken. But you have a cooler. Here's the deal: you have a, a cooler, you have a Yeti that has water in it, and you have to boat flip it into the Yeti so you don't lose the valuable slime coating on the fish. And now you've got a cooler sponsor. You have to boat flip it into the cooler during lunker time. If, hey, if we're going to have longer time and focus on big fish, I want to see someone try to boat flip a nine.
2: I actually, the biggest fish I've ever seen boat flipped, and it was done on camera when I was at Bass many years ago. Uh, we were filming a live day on the lake with Terry Scroggins, and 10 minutes into our very first effort at, uh, at day on the lake live, uh, Terry Scroggins boat flipped a 10, landed it at my feet.
0: <laughs> and probably said hammer right immediately after.
2: How about that, <laughs> Hammer. What about that one, Hammer? It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, and, and I thought, man, that's a bold move for uh, ducket rods, too, because he did it with a ducket rod. And um, if I had tried something like that, I'd have snapped whatever I was fishing with.
0: It's momentum. Those guys who boat flip big ones and catch them all the time, they get that split second of momentum when they feel there's something in that feel where that
2: fish, they know it's vulnerable. and They snatch you're, it. You're right. And that's and that's clearly, um, what you got to do. And, and I've learned that the hard way.
0: All right. Uh, you got anything else, Mr. Duke, before we wrap things up?
2: No, man, I've enjoyed it as always. Look out for Will Davis in the Bassmaster Classic. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. And Matt, I appreciate the plug very much for big bass podcast.
0: That is too. January 3rd,
2: January 3rd. I'll keep you posted.
0: Okay. Awesome. Also, uh, A plea to the BTL listeners, and I don't think I've done this at all this year, but we are dangerously close to 2,000 reviews on iTunes. With the year closing, finalizing contracts for next year's BTL, uh, committed to making more shows, bigger, better, more guests, more on-location stuff, Uh, the, the numbers as well as the rankings and reviews uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes and have not left a written review uh, or ranking dude I'd love to get to to 2,000 by the end of the year I think we're only like a couple dozen away so if you have a moment you do listen to it on iTunes uh, give us a star rating on BTL and leave a comment Uh, the sponsors do see that on a monthly basis and it's very important to it also uh, if you watch on YouTube You have to sign up for Google to get your YouTube account. It's super easy, but then that allows you to subscribe. As we start going live at different times in 2023, you can turn the bell on, and then you know whenever BTL goes live. You won't miss a mark after dark. You won't miss an evening show, anything like that. And then you like and comment on that stuff. So that's my plea. I don't talk about it very much, but it's important. All right, this has been BTL on a Wednesday. Dude, I love these shows hour and a half a plethora of information mr duke thank you for jumping on
2: always a pleasure man thanks for the invite he feels a blast all
0: right we'll see you guys tomorrow day four with uncle frank later